بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد إن شاء الله with the continuation of our book of حكم of ابن عطاء الله الإسكندري we continue حكم number 135 which we had begun last time we covered the first half of it last time so in, in this one he said مَا صَحِبَكَ إِلَّا مَنْ صَحِبَكَ وَهُوَ بِعَيْبِكَ عَلِيمٌ وَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا مَوْلَاكَ الْكَرِيمٌ خَيْرُ مَنْ تَصْحَبْ مَنْ يَطْلُبُكَ لَكْ لَا لِشَيْءٍ يَعُودُ مِنْكَ إِلَيْهِ No one is a companion of yours except the one who while knowing your defect or defects is still your companion and that is only your generous Lord. So that part we covered last time. That only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who can fulfill this criteria. That He knows everything about us, He knows more than we know about ourselves. Every defect of ours, every shortcoming, every weakness. But He's still there for us whenever we need Him, as long as we call out to Him. <clears throat> Even when we don't call out to Him, He is still nurturing us, He is still supplying us, He's still facilitating for us. He is still giving us the energy, the power, the nourishment, the life, and everything. And then the next part of this is the best one to take on as a companion is he who does not seek you out for the sake of something coming from you to him. Your best companion will be the one. The one you can take as a companion should be the one who's with you, not because they gain anything from you, but because they would like to give you. And that's a tough one. From the previous one, when we've understood that there can't be anybody who can really truly fulfill the definition of a true companion, it's only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now this is this second part provides a better understanding of the reality of companionship. What should companionship really be about? Once a true companion, once we've understood that a true companion is the one who should be our companion even when they discover bad things about us. While knowing bad things about us, they're still willing to stay with us. When I say bad things, I mean weaknesses. Of course, anybody who stays with us and supports us if we're aggressive or oppressive or cheating somebody, then that's not what this is speaking about. This is talking about our human traits, human weaknesses, human failings and shortcomings. So that's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, what is the reality of this relationship? Why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the best companion that you can have? And not just the best, but the only proper companion. Our responsibility is to try to understand this, reality, understand this reality. The more we understand it, the more it's going to be possible that we make this a reality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then becomes our main companion. And everything we do just relies on Him. But then there's going to be a responsibility with that. That comes with responsibility because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not just any companion. He's our Lord. So that means there's going to have to be adab, etiquette. And for this companionship to be a reality, for us to really make it a true companionship, a true relationship, then we have to 
show that adab and that decorum and that etiquette, that respect, that honor and everything that is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We discussed some of that last time. So this companionship quality is only found in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who can do as he wishes. Now, about Allah, there's no way you can constrain Allah, pressure Allah in any way whatsoever like you could do to others. You can, with others, you can make them feel guilty sometimes. You can put some pressure on them. Why don't you come with us or come on? You never come with us. Come on, you have to come with us this time. I always come when you, when you go. I'm always there for you. Why, why don't you come? With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's totally al-majid, al-ghani, al-hamid. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all of these. He is al-fa'al lima yurid. He does, literally, he can do whatever he wishes. Under no constraints from anybody. Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves somebody, He loves somebody not because of any cause. He loves somebody because He wants to love them. Nobody can force Allah to love them. Allah does as He wishes. He is completely the independent agent, does it, doing whatever He wills. And Allah can hate whoever He wants. Of course, Allah doesn't do things arbitrarily. There's always a reason that Allah has for doing things, but it's up to Him. And whenever He doesn't like somebody for whatever they do, then there's no harm that He would ever be threatened by. Sometimes when you declare enmity with somebody, there's always some fear about what they may do to you. What negative consequence might come up to you if you show somebody a bit of hatred or you show somebody a bit of opposition. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has no such fear. What I'm trying to say is that when he's going to love somebody, it's going to be a very, very pure love. It's not going to be based on any other reason. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can bring close to him whomever he wishes without any deed on their part. I mean, this isn't to say that don't do anything, just hope for that to happen. We do deeds, so we expect to get closer to Allah to show Him that we're interested. And as the hadith promises, that anybody who does fulfill all of these things, the obligations to start with, then they've entered into that court. Then they can get closer and closer to Allah until Allah begins to love them. And then Allah takes over everything of, their, of, everything of theirs. He disposes for them. And of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can distance whoever He wishes. So Allah says in Surah Al-Anbiya, لَا يُسْأَلُوا عَمَّا يَفْعَلُ وَهُمْ يُسْأَلُونَ Verses of the Qur'an that we need to keep in mind and refresh our faith with. Nobody can question Him about anything He does, but remember, they will be questioned. And this is, it's when people don't understand this relationship or this status, the human status, Allah's status, God's status, that they get confusing and they try they get confused and they start thinking most of the confusions about faith they come because they don't really understand most of the confusions that I've heard about faith where somebody's supposed to be a Muslim born as Muslim or whatever and then they get doubts is generally because they don't really understand that they can't impute on Allah similar things that they will deal with other people and assess other people by. Because Allah is not a human being, He's our creator. And I know we live in a world where there's a lot of responsibility, liability, and obligation. So companies even have an obligation, at least in the West, because companies are also held. People 
uh, employees, they sue their, they sue their employers. Um, purchasers, consumers of products, they can sue companies for getting something wrong. So while that may be a good thing, that is definitely a good thing because in other places where such law, the law is not implemented, then people get away with murder, right? So while that's a good thing, but what it does to people is that they think everybody is accountable, including God. That even God is accountable. There's also one nation of people who were massacred in the past. So while in one of the camps or the prisons, they even held a mock trial with Allah as the defendant. And then the guilt, and then, and then after that, they had lawyers from both sides. They enacted this whole thing. And the lawyers from both sides, one arguing for Allah and one arguing against Allah. And then eventually the judge gave the decree that God is guilty for this persecution. Because they're just looking at it through a human system, which is a man-made system. So until a man, human being does not recognize that God is beyond all of that, they're never going to get close to Allah. They, that's just very difficult. Because they just don't have the faintest clue of who Allah is then. If Allah is just somebody else like us, that can be held to the same laws, same responsibilities, then you're denying the Qur'an. Allah says, لا يسأل عما يفعل He can't be questioned. لا يسأل He can't be questioned for what He does. But they will be questioned. They're the responsible ones. They're the accountable ones. He is the ultimate Lord, the God, the Creator, the law setter, the law giver, the legislator, the shari'ah. Allahu Akbar. Allah goes on Surah Al-An'am. Verse 112, Allah says, Had your Lord wanted, they would never have done that. And this is showing how much more control Allah has. That they would never be able to do something if Allah had not willed that they do it. Now there's a bit of an aqidah issue here. Aqidah from a theological perspective at the reality here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because He's given free will to people, because we, He's made us such that we will be punished for the wrongs we do and rewarded for the goods that we do, the good that we do, for that He, has, he gave us uh, free will so that that makes it justifiable in, even in our sight because we all experience free will. So because of that, we have choice. So when we do something wrong, we know we've done it wrong. So there's, I mean, we, we have to feel accountable at some level because nobody is forced to do wrong. The others may force them, but they still have a choice of whether they want to oblige or not. That's why one of the poets, one of the poets said, "In kuntu fi hukmi shari'ati asiyan, fa inni fi hukmi al-haqiqati ta'iyun." This is a, you'll have to really understand this. I don't want to. I don't want people to get confused about this. I'll just translate it. He said, "If." According to the ruling of the Sharia, if I am disobedient, if I am charged to being disobedient because I missed the prayer or I committed something haram, na'udhu billah. Right. So from a Sharia perspective, I am disobedient. Right? Put my hand up, disobedient. But if I look at it from the reality perspective, that nothing in this world happens except what Allah wills, then in that sense, I'm just obedient. But that obedience is not going to get us anywhere because that's just the fact that Allah has given us free will and He lets us enact whatever we want to do with our free will. Otherwise, if we couldn't, then how could we be punished or rewarded for the good or bad we do?
that choice would be gone. So freedom of choice and then having a reward and punishment system can only work if we've got a choice and when I decide, when somebody decides to do something good, they can do it, generally speaking, you know, within the limitations. And if somebody wants to do something bad, they can do it if everything is conducive to that uh, situation. So there's, there's, there's people who want to go to the bar, to the pub, to commit zina or whatever it is. That happens. Because Allah allows it. He doesn't like it. It's against His command. It's against what He loves. And He's not going to be happy with that at all. But if that's what you want to do, okay, we've given you the power to I'll give you this car. It's full of petrol. You can take it for wherever you want. Now you decide where to go with it. It's just like that. Allah is giving us the energy to do that. But in reality, everything is in the hands of Allah. Now, how does that benefit us? The way that benefits is that we get, there's several verses in the Quran. Allah says, we put a seal on their heart because of what they did. There are deeds that we do or du'as that we make that then bring in a lot of good fortune. So, I know so many stories of people who wanted to do bad in a moment of weakness, but they ended up not doing it. Some factor came in to protect them. Not protect them like somebody came to stop them as such necessarily, although that could happen. But they just fell sick, so they couldn't go. Um, something else happened, got cancelled, or something like that. That happens because of barakah. Students of knowledge, they're studying knowledge, but they've got a weakness, and I've seen some of them being protected because of that. They couldn't think of any other reason why they wanted to do a haram. And sometimes because of some, some bad statement of bad adab that somebody has made about Allah, they get deprived of good doing good deeds. And they just don't realize, I don't feel like praying anymore. I can't wake up for fajr anymore. And they're wondering, because they're not all bad, but they're not very, they're not fully educated either. Meaning they don't know Allah enough, and they don't know their deen enough. They want to be practicing, but there's not enough understanding and gnosis and ma'rifah of Allah. So because of that, they sometimes say a bad statement about Allah or the religion or the deen. Not thinking too bad about it. As the hadith mentions that sometimes a human being makes a statement by which he falls this many years into hellfire. Because it's, hellfire is a big place. So it's, the distances are measured in years. I know it sounds a bit weird for us. But that's how, that's how the discussion is in, about paradise. Because of one single word that they did not consider to be serious. That just tells us that we need to be extremely careful when it comes to Allah. And if you're in doubt about something, then you just abstain and then you ask that is this something I can think about in this way? Is this the way this needs to be understood? What's the background to this? Because what that could do if we're lax in that regard is that it may then prevent us. It may attract the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so then our good deeds will be stopped. That's why the ulama of spirituality will tell us that bad deeds come from three places. One is 
we know from the shaitan. The whispers. Al-waswas al-khannas. Yuwaswis ufis tudurinas. That's known. Um, generally, the way you figure that out is that if you ever feel like doing a new sin, like a new idea, somebody comes to you, then that's shaitan al-insujin. That, that's quite clear. The second place where sins can come from is the nafs. And generally, the way you can generally tell that is where it's a habitual sin. It's just an addiction. It's like an addiction. It's, that is what an addiction is. The brain has become hardwired to find, to release its... Uh, excitement, chemicals, when you do that. So when you feel like doing that, it's generally the nafs. Of course, shaitan can bear to create the whispers, uh, to, to, uh, and then the nafs just takes over. And the third one, they say, is the anger of Allah. Because he's angry, we can't turn to good. We just can't turn to good. The nafs then just takes over. It's a bit more complicated than that, but that's the general idea. So that's why one of the things that people need to really worry about, especially today when there's just so many ideas out there, alternative ways of thinking, so-called new ways of thinking, progressive ways of thinking, that what we're doing is, if it's not based in the Qur'an and Sunnah, and if it is not something, I mean, Islam is a perennial religion, goodness, monotheism, true understanding of the oneness of Allah and the reality of Allah. This is something that human beings have been taught throughout the ages through the various messengers and the prophets. So that core idea of who Allah is, is something that is as old as humanity. In fact, every human being, every human being that has come on this earth and will come on this earth has gone through Exposure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before they even come into this world. As Allah mentions in the Quran. When Allah created Adam alayhi salam and then extracted all of his progeny and then manifested himself in front of them and said, Aren't I your Lord? And they said, Of course you are. So that's something obvious. Now, if anything is trying to change that, you have to be very, very, very careful. Sometimes what happens is that because we see weaknesses, um, in our workings, in our culture, in our surrounding, in our environment, in, in our surroundings, in the way we lead our religious life. There's always going to be some weaknesses because the best nation was the one with the Prophet ﷺ, which is the Sahaba, Khayrukum Qarni, So the best of the generations was the generation of the Sahaba, they had the best teacher who could always clarify to them as he did. Then it was the ones after them, and then the ones after them, and that just shows a progressive deterioration. Now we are, I don't know how many generations after that. I mean, in my isnad of the Qur'an, of Hifz uh, of the Qur'an to the Prophet there's about 30 or 31 people. So that's minimum 31 to 40 generations. 30 to 40 generations. That is how much lower we are than the Sahaba's generation. Collectively speaking, there will always be good people. Nobody ever to reach the level of the Sahabi. But there's always going to be some good people, or whoever wants to be good. But collectively speaking, you're not going to get the environment of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, with the Prophet in their midst. And the likes of Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, walking around. 
and Umar radiallahu anhu, where are you going to get that from? You'll get people who will remind us of them, but never at the same level. So it's not to say that everybody's going to be bad, just collectively speaking, we've got less opportunity in that sense. So one has to be very careful. I mean, this is a very important message. One has to be very careful about what they think. So when we see those weaknesses in our community or whatever, where some people like to find solutions, not everybody. Most people are just passive individuals, just carry on. Everybody's doing ghibat, they will do ghibat. They, they will backbite. As without even realizing it's wrong. They will, if there's a certain, you know, a certain new idea, people will take it on. But there will always be a few, there will always be a, a group who will think about it, who will ponder it, who will analyze it, and then they get split into two. Some will understand the reality of it because they know Allah. You know, they've got that background, they've got the dhikr or whatever it is, that Allah, Allah's bounty and his tawfiq, they'll get it right. So they'll abstain, try to warn others. They'll try to find a positive solution. But sometimes they will be considered to be backwards, not in tune with the times. Not everybody who's charged with that is going to be who I'm saying, because sometimes some people are definitely not in tune with the times. But then there's going to be another group who will find solutions with all sincerity, but it will be shaitani solutions. Shaitan is everywhere. In the sense that if there's no dhikr, generally I believe that if somebody is doing sufficient dhikr and they have the deeny understanding, they've tried to study the deen, you know, to the best of their ability, I don't think those people will fail. Right? I don't think so. Because if you're doing dhikr, remembering Allah, and you're studying the deen, what more can you do to be protected? If you're studying the deen with reliable scholars, reliable people, and you're studying the dhikr, and you're doing the dhikr under reliable people of Allah, what more can you want? You can't have the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because we're not in his generation. But this is the way to get, be in the company of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I don't think what more you can have. Yes, we've had scholars who've deviated, without the dhikr of Allah. We've had people who've done dhikr of Allah, but they've deviated because they did not have any scholarship. They were just mere worshippers and devotees. But generally, if somebody is throughout their life taking a course, and that's why I, I always suggest that you've got your whole life. Just because when you were young, now you're 40 years old, 35 years old, 50 years old, You've got children, maybe grandchildren, you've got business, you've got work, you're, you're settled. You can't go out to study the deen f formally to such and such a university or madrasa or darul ulum or whatever the case is. That's fine. What you can do is you can just take some courses according to your convenience. There's lots of those courses available. Allah has made it e easy now. Lots of those courses available online now. Just take one course a year. You got a full-time job, that's fine. Take one course a year, a weekend course, evening course, two days a week, three days a week. Learn some tajweed. If your tajweed is lacking, learn some hadith. You don't have to study Sahih, sahih, you don't have to study sahih, uh, sahih al-Bukhari. 
first, you can start with Zadu Talibin provisions for the seekers, Riyadu Salihin, and some other books that others may be teaching. And then eventually, maybe one day will come, you know, maybe in 20 years or even 10 years or whatever, that you may even be able to, you know, you'll get to study Sahih al Bukhari. The reason I say that is because Sahih al Bukhari has a lot of advanced narrations that could need reconciliation, putting into perspective, a lot more commentary than you need in Riyadh al-Salihin, for example. So you've got the whole life to study. Just because you couldn't do six years of formal study, four years as a degree somewhere, you know, in Islamic studies or whatever, that doesn't matter. You've got your whole life. Maybe if your sincere dua, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts and you make that dua, maybe by the time we're ready to go in our grave that we will be considered an alim of some sort. But at least we'll be more in tune, more illuminated, more educated, more in connection with the deen. And the more we learn, inshallah, the more we will stay away from fitan, temptations, trials, misunderstandings, confusions, which is literally just plaguing the world today. So going back to the main point here, one of the reasons why we, people get deprived or go in the wrong direction is because of certain blasphemous ideas and, and maybe certain deeds that they do which are so serious, Allah takes them so seriously that He just prevents any kind of facilitation for us afterwards in the right direction. Then we don't even know why. And subhanAllah, there are people who used to be very practicing and then suddenly they just don't know why. They just can't get back into it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us preserved. I'm, I, I'm scared about this all the time. You know, I'm scared about this all the time that we get deprived and on our deathbed we don't get the kalima la ilaha illallah. Then what was the benefit of everything that we've done in our life? As I said, an another verse in Surah Al-Ra'id, Allah says, If Allah willed, He could have made the whole humanity, the whole system different. He could have said, okay, all of you are just going to be guided. Qabil would never have killed Habil. You know? If Allah wanted, death would have just taken place. Normally, there would be no murder in the world. There'd be no zina in the world. It'd just work very smoothly in that sense. In fact, if that was the case, maybe there would be no need. I mean, Allah knows best. There would be no need for Allah to have taken Adam out of paradise. He would have just created people in paradise and left them in paradise and that's it. That's what I choose to do. Subhanallah, Allah's already done that by the way. He's got the hurul in for paradise. They are in paradise, they've got no question, they've got no nothing to worry about. They are in paradise, khalas. There are the ghilman, the young the you know the 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 young the, the boys in paradise, that the young males in paradise that will be there. That's a creation Allah created for paradise. They don't have choice. You know? I don't know. You know, we have choice. Would you want not to have choice? Sometimes, subhanAllah, people have been like Abu Bakr to say that I'd rather be this plant to be just consumed by a sheep or a goat and not have to deal with this life. Sometimes you could say that in frustration, in a state that, okay, I wish I'd... Subhanallah. But there are pleasures to be, get, to be had, you know. The human being, if they do well, they have the highest sense of reward from Allah. 
So it's not wasted, it's not redundant. It's definitely not redundant. It may be safer, but then why not take the potential and get somewhere? If you're willing to be a safe, just a leaf, to then just perish with nothing, or an animal to then become dust. Why though? Allah wants have to have us to have himma aliyah, high aspiration, to get something. So why not ask Allah for that, to get somewhere? May Allah make it easy. So this verse says, if Allah willed, He could have just guided everybody. But, so somebody's going to say, why didn't He do that? You know, in a lot of the theological confusions that people have, which leads people to agnosticism or on the verge of atheism and things like that, is because, why didn't God, if He loves His creatures, why doesn't He just, why does He let you sin? Why does He let you do the wrong? See, this confusion comes from a place of this false sense of reality. Reality is there, there's evil in the world. And this idea that God is just merciful is, a, is rooted in Christianity. But unfortunately, a lot of Muslims start having this question. Allah is merciful, very merciful, beneficent, loving. But He's also many other things. And He does, according to His names 99 and beyond he has these things come about in the world we just have to make sure that uh, he's given us ways to attract the mercy and that's uh, you know we have to try to do that and people who don't they can't just complain okay so now you understand when the poet said that in according to the sharia if i have done something disobedience done some disobedience but in the real reality of the matter, I've just obeyed because that is, but that's not something that we're going to be accountable for. You know, you can't argue with Allah, but you wanted me to do this. Because everybody knows that when they've done something wrong, they've wanted to do it. And if they've made a mistake, they can just do tawbah and say, oh, Allah, I made a mistake. Allah is going to forgive them, inshallah, anyway. That's why going back to our main theme today, the best one that you can have as your companion is going to be your Lord. Now, if you want him as your companion, he is now seeking from you. He is demanding rather from you that you be in his presence. Otherwise, what's the point of a companion if you can't be with them? So you need to be. And the wonderful thing about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you could be with everybody else in the world and still be in the presence of Allah. You don't have to go anywhere to be in His presence. Yes, you come and you pray salat. You're in the house of Allah. But that doesn't mean that when you're at work you can't be in His presence. Your hands and your body is focused on doing your work. But Allah just wants our heart to be connected with Him and we're in His presence even when we're working. You may want to do a game of football or soccer because you just need some exercise, you need that refreshment. That is fine. But your heart is with Allah. So you're in His presence. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you for His love. And that love that he wants you for, that companionship of love he wants from you, 
not because you're going to give anything to him or he needs anything from you or he needs to be validated by us. It's actually just, if that happens, you know, there's, it, there's some people, I mean, you can maybe relate to this, that there's certain individuals, you just want their relationship because you know them to be good and virtuous. So you don't want anything from them. You just want, you feel validated yourself that they've accepted you as their friend. You know, alhamdulillah. You know you're not going to get anything from them, but what you're getting from them is just this self-validation. But from Allah, we're going to get so much more than that. So the question is then, if you ask yourself that if Allah is there to be a companion for anybody and everybody, nobody can stop you. Meaning nobody can take that place. There's enough space. Allah is enough for everyone. Then why would you abandon him and put your entire focus on gaining comfort in others? So, I mean, some people looked at this in a bit more of a graphic fashion, right? Take it however you want. He said, Because experienced people, I mean, we, we've already experienced people, you'll find that some of them are scorpions. They'll bite you when the time is right. Now, if you want, so he said, then says, فَإِذَا If you want a true companionship, فَاصْحِبِ الْعَارِفِينَ الَّذِينَ يُنْهِضُكَ حَالُهُمْ if you really want a companion, then find some awliya. Find those who are knowers of Allah. right? And those, he describes them, which we've done a hikmah a about it as well, which is that it's those people who, their, their state, just the way they are, they remind you about Allah. They, they inspire you. And when they speak, that reminds you, it indicates towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another way to look at this is that <clears throat> when, you are bef when you're trying to find a companionship, it's difficult to get this con concept of being a companion of Allah. And I think the way I understand that very simply is that it's that we're always thinking about, because a companion is who you always think about, who you remember, who you try to do good for. The best friend of yours, you see, the one that you really are going to feel something about are those who remember you and do things for you, are thinking about you even when they're not in front of you. It's not for show. You can tell that. Now the thing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He sees us all the time anyway. So the next best thing that we can focus on in the world is the awliya of Allah. Because in reality, the reason why we want companionship and friendship and with the awliya of Allah, with the religious people of Allah, with those who we think are close to Allah, is why? Because of Allah. So doesn't that relationship become relationship with Allah? Because we're taking what we have in front of Him because they are supposed to take us to Allah. So that's why he's saying that's included in being a companion with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to find the company of His people. And Allah tells us, Kunu ma'asadiqeen. You be, O people who believe, be with the, the truthful ones. Because in reality, there's nothing but Allah. So those that are related to Allah, close to Allah, then they're the best thing that we can have in front of us. That's why one of the sayings says that, Inna lillahi rijalan. 
من نظر إليهم سعيدة سعادة لا يشقى بعدها أبدا. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us this company. He says, this statement is, Allah has such people who ever looks at them, you know, in the right way, who looks at them and goes in their company or whatever. And sometimes it could be just the look that they look at you. They will attain such fortune that afterwards they would never be wretched. They would never have misfortune. They are such Mubarak people. They are such blessed individuals. They are, they are so close to Allah that being in their company, you get some of what's showering upon them of the light of Allah. And it's so potent that you will never have a problem again. And the thing is that, you know, we obviously as we just said that we live in such a further distant, distant generation from the Prophet ﷺ, but such people will always be around. Allah, there will always be people of Allah around. They will never stop until the Day of Judgment. There will always be some. The issue, and according to the, you know what's the amazing thing, is that according to the people of Allah, these people are very manifest. They can see them. But we can't sometimes, and sometimes we're even led to oppose them because of the vileness of the shaitan. They make us maybe feel guilty or something. So many people of Allah are actually opposed sometimes by people. And what the scholars say is that such people will only be hidden from those people who Allah doesn't want them to gain benefit. Ulama say that when you're truly looking, you have to ask Allah. And Allah will give you someone. There's so many stories of people who've gone to the haramain. Oh Allah, make me meet somebody that I can benefit from. Grant me a companion for the way. And when that dua gets accepted, mashallah, you get that benefit. There's stories of the past. There are stories of the, of the present about such things. So, I, I don't profess to have what this is saying. We're all looking and we're all trying to benefit. We are reading these words from these great people who got somewhere and the ummah for generations have considered them to have gotten somewhere. They lived a life that was secure. They died without doing anything crazy. And we're told to bear witness for such people. Their words are so inspiring. So we try to learn from them. And we all hope and we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the reality of that. You know, I just see myself as just the means, if Allah can even accept that, to take what's here and to try to explain it so that I can personally benefit and maybe others can benefit as well so that we, we can all contribute to a better world and to people who are closer to Allah. So that removes the effects of the shaitan. May Allah preserve us from the shaitan. Allahumma anta salamu wa minka salamu tabarak ya dal jalali wal ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum. Bi rahmatika nastaghith. Allahumma ya hannan ya mannan la ilaha illa ant. Subhanaka inna kunna minal zalimin. 
اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين يا الله يا الله we ask you for your special mercy for your forgiveness for your guidance for your benevolence for your generosity O oh Allah, we ask you for your grace. O oh Allah, we are nothing without you. O oh Allah, you are our creator. O oh Allah, we owe you for everything, for every breath, for every moment that we continue in this world, for our mere existence. O oh Allah, we can't function without you. O oh Allah, we can do nothing without you. We cannot even think without you. O oh Allah, we get everything from you. O oh Allah, <clears throat> We ask that you allow us not to forget this and not to be heedless and not to be absent from this at any one time. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us your consciousness, your taqwa. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us scrupulousness. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us piety, purity, worship, devotion. We ask that you grant us your love and the, surround us with those who love you. Oh Allah, grant us good company. Oh Allah, be our companion. Oh Allah, make us allow us to be worthy of being with you. Oh Allah, allow us to be worthy of being with you. Oh Allah, allow there to be people around us and for us to be inclined to people who can take us closer to you. Oh Allah, protect us from inclining towards those people and those things which distract us from you which create heedlessness and negligence in our hearts. O oh Allah, and those activities which are futile and redundant, that are of no benefit. O oh Allah, we ask you to guide us towards that in which is our salvation, in which there is profit for us, in which there is benefit for us. And O oh Allah, facilitate such things for, for us. And O oh Allah, bless us in, with such things. O oh Allah, you be our guide. O oh Allah, you we are we are nothing without you oh allah you have us by our forelocks drag us by our forelocks and enter us into paradise whether we and into your obedience whether we like it or not make your obedience beloved to us make your disobedience hated in our sight oh allah this is the challenges and the problem <coughs> that we face throughout our life we want to do good we want to be good but, O oh Allah, there are things that distract us. O oh Allah, we ask that you allow us to fulfill our responsibilities towards you and the responsibilities you've given us towards others, our spouses, our children, our family members, our students and other people that rely on us in the jobs that we do. O oh Allah, you've grant, you have given us more than so many others in this world. O oh Allah, you've granted us so much more blessing than so many others in this world. O oh Allah, we ask you for contentment and gratitude and satisfaction for what you have given us. Protect us from excessive greed, protect us from avarice, protect us from being incontent, protect us from being disobedient, protect us from being ungrateful. Oh Allah, we ask that you make every subsequent year better than the previous year, every day better than the previous day. Close, make us closer to you than we were the day before and oh Allah make us the best that we have ever been when before we pass away make our final days the best of our days so that we can stand in front of you on the day of judgment 
and that be the best moment of our existence. And then, O oh Allah, for you to enter us into your abodes of peace and honor. O oh Allah, in the company of the righteous ones, the prophets, the shuhada, the martyrs. O oh Allah, even though our, our deeds may have not been to that. O oh Allah, protect us from the wrongdoings that we get involved in and keep us protected. And bless all of those who sit here and who listen to this. O oh Allah, grant a special blessing. O oh Allah, grant us a special, a special blessing and allow us to continue to remember you and increase in our remembrance. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah.